Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. Tonight, we, we begin a five-week exploration into the book of James. And I think Jenny said something really wise before. She said many things wise. She is wise. My wife, I have to live with her the rest of my life. She is wise. She is beautiful. She is humble. She is all things good. But what she said that was particularly wise is this. We've just gone through a series on the Holy Spirit, where we've been receiving, where we've been open to what the Spirit is doing among us. And now we're going into what is probably the most practical nuts and bolts book of the New Testament, the the letter from James to the church of Israel. And that's really what it was, Israel and beyond. James wasn't just writing to one group of people. Like Paul would say, here's a letter to a church in a place called Corinth. Go and read it. James is going, here's my best wisdom for everybody and throwing it out there. And the temptation can be, let's go so far practical that we forget the way the Spirit is moving. But friends, we here at Encounter are passionate about you being Bible-fed, Spirit-led both at the same time. This is not an either-or situation. We find ourselves grounded in the Word of God. That's how we know who we are, but we know where we're going by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So tonight, I just want to encourage you, wherever you are at, be open to what the Spirit wants to do among you. But James 1, I'm calling this gear up. So if you're making notes, it is gear up night tonight. And speaking of gear up, Jenny mentioned before, we have just come back from a cruise. And uh, so we were just suffering for Jesus at buffets, suffering for Jesus at, you know, beautiful islands with pristine beaches. It was tough a lot of times, not very tough, but, you know, the seas sometimes move from side to side. That was about as rough as it got. And so we go on this cruise, and cruises are weird. If anyone's been on a cruise before, they are weird, okay? Like, it's great, it's relaxing, but they are weird. They're so artificial. You go in there, they've got this sort of tacky Vegas decor everywhere. You're like, ah, all right, you know, buffets. The waiters are singing and dancing, which is entertaining, but again, kind of weird. And all the food is all-inclusive, so you just get fat, fatter, in in some people's cases, hypothetically. (laughs) Like, it's it's the lunch desserts that get you. It's the lunch desserts that get you, you know. Dinner dessert, that's fine. Maybe just one dinner dessert is probably all we need. But that's what gets you. So the cruise itself is weird, but you stop off at ports and you go to these beautiful islands, and that's my jam. I love exploring little towns and finding coffee shops and meeting people and going around little deserted corners, going to big old churches and things like that. I love it. So we went to Numea, we went to Mari, and then we went to the Isle of Pines. And the Isle of Pines is basically heaven on earth. Hands up if you've ever been to the Isle of Pines. Oh, you poor unsanctified people. You'll go there someday. Well, someday, you've got to get to the Isle of Pines. It's gorgeous. Pristine beaches, tropical fish swimming around. There's turtles, allegedly. Um, we didn't see any. And there's, and there's beautiful rainforests. But before we did anything else, we decided we wanted to go on a hike up a mountain. And by we, I mean me. I decided we wanted to go out on a hike up a mountain because I like mountain climbing. I've got this theory that everyone's either a beach person or a mountain person. Vibe-wise, I'm a mountain person. Beaches are nice and all, but give me a mountain to climb any day. So I took the fam and we're like, yes, we're going to climb this mountain. It's not far away. It's not too high. Let's go. Hands up who might be thinking already, are you sure you want to take three small children (laughs) mountain climbing? Yeah, okay, yeah. Some of you are smarter than I am. But I took these children mountain climbing. I took my wife mountain climbing. She was fine, obviously. She was fine. Ask me later. She was fine. And... Well, the five of us start going, and to start with, it's fine. 
You're going along and you're like, this is great. This is exciting. This is an adventure. But after a while, there's only so long you can take a six-year-old mountain climbing before it becomes a six-year-old in a mountain, right? Like it's just a long, it's just the, the proportions are so much smaller. The legs, the leg strides are so much smaller. And the more tired they get, the more little kids give up. And they just sort, sort of the knees start bending further and, and they slump like this. And then they sort of start kicking their own heels as they walk along. It's like, okay, it's going to be one of those. And so as we got going, we're like, all right, this is looking good. But the further we went on, the six-year-old started to become a six-year-old. We're like, okay, how are we going to do this? And the problem for a six-year-old, like the problem for most of us is this. It's not so much that we're trying to climb mountains. It's that we can't see the top. And when you can't see the top, you can't quite recognize what's up there. It becomes hard to get motivated to climb that mountain. It gets hard to go, yes, I can see where I'm going. Yes, I can see what's happening. Because we need motivation. We need vision. We need encouragement in life to get to where God wants us to go. And so as we unpack James tonight, James chapter 1, and James has this whole tough love approach. So if I'm sounding mean tonight, it's all James's fault. And as we unpack that, I just want you to think about the idea of vision as we gear up. Okay, let's jump into James chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles with you, I just want to encourage you to have a look at that. Okay, James chapter 1. Now, James is trying to give wise advice to a young church. When James is writing his letter, the church in Israel was no more than 30 years old. Right? It's, it's all over the place. The Christians are scattered throughout Greece, throughout North Africa and Turkey and around the Mediterranean and, of course, in Israel and Palestine and the Middle East. And they are all over the place. And James, who is this, this bishop, who is this wise man, is basically taking a leaf out of the book of an old king called Solomon, one of the most famous kings in Israel's history, who wrote this book called Proverbs in the Old Testament. And it's exactly what it sounds like, just these pithy one-liners of wisdom. And James says, basically, what if I did that in, five, you know, in a short letter and sent it to everybody? And so he's making it as snappy as he can. So sometimes the letter from James sounds a bit disjointed. It's one idea, and then it's another idea, and then it's another. It's not because it's been edited or anything sinister like that. It's just like, he's, here's the first idea. All right, got it? Next idea. Let's go. Let's go. He's writing like a man who doesn't have much time to communicate, and he's writing to a wide group of people. Okay? So this is why we get this idea. James chapter 1. So James, like most of the letters in the New Testament, he starts out by greeting people in the first verse. In the second verse, he jumps straight off in this cracker of a line. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. James clearly hasn't gone to the public speaking school of, you know, give people a story to help them buy into what you're talking about. He's like, verse 2, right, you've been greeted? Fantastic. Okay, how good suffering? People are like, yeah, not, not really. Uh, but this is where James starts. He goes, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. But of course he goes on. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Everybody say endurance. Endurance, endurance is the overarching theme of James chapter 1. Endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James is making a point about our faith here that we do not like to hear, and that's this. We need struggle to grow. We actually need trials in order to grow, in order to overcome. 
We don't like hearing this, but you think about it. You go back to kids. When kids are growing up, and, and some of you, it may not be that long ago that you remember you go through a growth spurt, and your body actually hurts a little bit when you go through a growth spurt. What do they call that? Growing pains. Growing pains. Because as the body grows, it hurts a little bit as the body stretches to what it needs to become. That's fine. Everything's good as long as it's not your belt that's hurting, right? Everything else, it is good for your body to grow. But we go through growing pains as this happens. Pain is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's about developing to who God needs us to be. Trials produce endurance. Endurance produces maturity. Do we like this? Yeah, half-hearted. Yeah, that's what I expected. It's good, though. This is the thing. We don't like it, but it's good. You cannot like something and it still be good. Vegetables, don't always love them. They're good. Broccoli, I have just trained my brain to like broccoli. I don't think I actually like the taste of broccoli. But every time I have it, I'm like, broccoli, yum! Keep saying how good it is until it's finished. And it's like, all right, guess I'll eat this steak. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you have to trick your brain into knowing what's good. Because we tell ourselves things are good. We go, oh, man, those KFC chips smell amazing. And they do. But we all know that an hour later, KFC is still sitting there at the bottom of your stomach. Amen? Yeah, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. I often joke with people that um, I love it when God's doing a work in me, but I love it more afterwards. Know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily love the pain of growing. What I love is the result afterwards. We're a bit like that, I think, culturally right now. And we've got to train ourselves to enjoy the moment we're in, not just where we're going. So the key word in this little passage that we've heard is consider. Consider. James is trying to explain something to us. He's not saying you have to feel joyful all the time. You can't chase a feeling of joy all the time. That's, that's like addiction, right? That's like a drug addiction idea, to keep chasing a feeling. James is saying, consider, consider a joy. He's saying, look at the trial you're going through and, and go, just like I said before, tricking your brain, creating neural pathways that say, I am overjoyed to be in this trial. Are you really? No, but you are telling yourself you are. Why? Because you're looking ahead to the top of the mountain. You're looking to where you're going. We are going towards maturity. And this is our prayer for you, Encounter Church. We want you to grow into believers who are mature because believers who are mature are stable. They are steady. And they go out and they disciple other believers. Because your job is not just to be fed and be fed and be fed and be fed like you're at a cruise buffet. Your job is to be fed and grow and to use that food for nourishment and to go out and grow others. The job of the Christian life is not just to go, feed me, feed me. The job is to go, feed me, great. I am nourished. I'm going out to feed others. And I'm going to continually come back to that source. That is what we're called to be, mature followers of Christ. So consider joy. Choose joy. He doesn't say we're going to love it. He's advising us to take a posture of joy. We can view trials as something that break us. James wants us to see them as something that shapes us. But tough love time. I just don't think we're a very resilient generation. I don't want to have a crack at all of us, but I look at myself. Like I'm pointing my finger at myself as much as anything. I'm sitting all weekend. It's been an on and off weekend with the kids. This happens sometimes. Good behavior, bad behavior, bad behavior, bad behavior, good behavior, more bad. And, you know, on and off. And in it, my default posture is to get annoyed and go, oh, I can't believe, I can't believe this is happening. And then in the back of my mind, the Holy Spirit's like, aren't you, um, 
Are you just about to preach a message on how endurance produces maturity? Isn't it about choosing joy in the midst of like, yeah, 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 fine, 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 I get the picture. But if you could just stop the kids from, aren't you meant to choose joy in the midst of the trial? Now, this is obviously a minuscule example. But the thing is, it's the little things in life that trip us up more than the big ones. So often in life, I find that it is the cataclysmic, life-altering, shattering moments that actually bring us to the foot of the cross. And it's the little irritating ones that confuse us and take us away. And we start changing the posture of our life. And we start saying, oh, if God really loved me, then this wouldn't happen. Or, man, if God is real, then why am I going through this? And we never, we never step back and go, oh, actually, it's not that big a deal, really, is it? You know that moment of anxiety you have when you're late for work, and then you realize, if I'm five minutes late, it's probably not the end of the world. It's like that. And so we ask if-then questions about God. And we're going, oh, if God loved me, it's like, hang on, hang on, hang on. What do you mean, what do you mean if God loved you? The, the God who gave up Jesus? The God who sent his son to live a perfect life on our behalf? The God who was sinless? The God who never did wrong? Who gave everything for us as a sacrificial act of love? What, what, what if? What if are we talking about? And if you're here and you're brand new and you're exploring Christianity... That is not a shot at you. But for us who already say we believe in Jesus, but something small comes up and we trip on our heels and the mountain looks a bit big and we're like, oh, I just, man, I'm just doubting. Like, what are we talking about? We let little things outweigh big things. We let pebbles outweigh boulders in terms of our faith. If you're a Christian in this room, if you're someone that is passionate about Jesus, can I encourage you, move past the small things. I know that seems obvious, but this might just be something for you to hear tonight. Move past the small things. The thing is, when we move past the small things, we switch our posture. Instead of saying, if God loves us, we go, okay, God loves me, therefore. Instead of saying, oh, if God loves me, then why? We go, no, no, no. Because God loves me, therefore. And what happens after that is, is almost irrelevant. We are just switching our posture to go, okay, I'm going to start, instead of starting with doubt, I'm going to start with trust. Because what does James say about doubt? He says, doubt is like being double-minded. It's like trying to take both sides of the story at the same time. More than that, it's unsteady. And I want to encourage you, if you're here and you're just on that journey where you're like, I just, I just don't know if, I, if God is who he says he is yet, and you've never been there, I just want to encourage you on that. This is not a shot at you. That is such a powerful place to be in. That is such a great journey to be on, and it's awesome to have you here. This is shots at people like me who have known Jesus for a long time and get tripped up by small things. And part of the problem is our default posture starts with, I don't trust God, instead of, I do trust God. That's not to say you be naive. That's not to say you be stupid. That is to say, you start with the posture of, I trust God, and God loves me. Therefore, how do I tackle this situation? Therefore, how do I process this experience? Therefore, can I look at this boulder and realize it's a pebble? Is it a perspective problem? Is God actually in this? Yes, he is. Great. How do I tackle this issue? It's, can you see how it's just a switch in perspective? It's so small, so simple, but it can change everything in your life. If your posture is, God loves me, how does my life flow out of that? That's so powerful. So powerful. Because God has more for you. He wants you to have an encounter with Jesus, and we push for that. But we, we push for that as an encouragement. We push for that as the mountaintop moment, not for the place where you live. 
You can't live on top of the mountain. It's unrealistic. How do you get food on top of the mountain? How do you nourish others on top of the mountain? We have those moments and we use them to remind ourselves like the milestones that the Israelites used to in the desert to look and go, that is where God met me. That is where something happened in my life. And I'm moving forward and I'm taking strength from that moment, knowing there's another one to come, even though I'm in the midst of trial and I'm in the midst of trials and I'm struggling, but I know God loves me and I'm working out of that posture. So what I'm doing is I'm enduring. I'm not enjoying it, but I'm enduring it. Wait, yes, I am. I am enjoying it. I am in, I'm convincing myself. I'm enjoying it. I am in enjoying it because, not because the moment's good, but because what is to come is so good. Amen. What is to come is good. Maturity is a good thing. Anyone in the room got a driver's license? Yeah. You don't get that without maturity. Anyone in this room ever been to a, to a pub past, what is it, eight o'clock? When do they kick you out? Midnight? I don't even know. You can't have that without maturity. You can't enjoy a glass of wine without maturity. You can't really Grow into an adult without maturity. You need to get alongside people. If you want to speak life into them, give them wisdom and encouragement, at some point you need to grow up into maturity. Maturity is good, but the process to get there is hard. Amen? So what do we do with that? How do we actually endure? Because it's all well and good to say, consider it joy, but we have to know how. Well, all right, James gives us the answer again in these super weird verses. Verses 23 to 25. He says this, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. You know how that happens all the time? You look in a mirror and you walk away and you go, what do I look like again? No? No, me neither. That's never happened to me. (laughs) Just checking that we're all paying attention. That is a weird thing to write. You know, James is saying how you look in a mirror and then you walk away. I mean, sometimes I look in the mirror and walk away and go, that was a bit of a... Is that Gosling? Was that Ryan Gosling back there? <laughs> Go and check it. Like, oh, no. Who, who was that? Was that, was that Luke Vianello? Uh, Jared Hunter? Mm, no. All right. But I know what I look like. Sometimes it makes me sad, but I know what I look like. <laughs> and so this doesn't make any sense as a human, just as a normal everyday experience. But as a pastor, I have a different experience. As a pastor, I have hundreds and hundreds of experiences where people have a moment with the Holy Spirit on Sunday, and then on Monday, some arts professor with a chip on their, you know, tweed-clad shoulder, <laughs> makes some sort of generally atheist comment and people's faith crumble to the ground. Like, what? what? We've got to have more than that. This is where maturity comes in, in that we can take our experiences and put them through the lens of the love of God. We can take our understandings, put them through the lens of the love of God, our situations, put them through the lens of the love of God, Does that mean we love and feel good in every moment? No, but it means we can choose joy in every moment. It means we can know we are moving towards maturity. When we do this idea, when we come and have a moment with God and we walk away and do nothing about it, James is saying, that's when it's kind of worthless. And some of you may know the famous verse from James, faith without deeds is dead. What James is saying here is if you get something, if you have a moment with the Holy Spirit, And you don't put it into practice. You don't take it seriously. At some point, it will fade. He's not trying to point fingers and say, you're no good or you don't have it together. No, he's just saying, look, if you don't practice what you learn, it's going to go away. This is a pretty obvious principle, isn't it? When we learn, we've got to practice. Otherwise, it fades away. fades away. James is pointing to stuff out that we already know. Unless we live out our faith authentically, it begins to fade away or we become hypocrites. 
And one of our core values here at Encounter is real. We are real. We have these four core values. If you're new here, we're all about Jesus. We're all about people. We're all about being generous. And we're all about being real. And when we talk about being real, we're not talking about the opportunity to have a microphone and just air your dirty laundry, right? That's not being real. That's group therapy that no one offered to pay for. <laughs> what we're talking about is, is that we don't fake happy faces here. If you're, if you're struggling and going through a tough time, we will pray with you. We will sit with you. We will love you in it. The same time, if you are celebrating, regardless of our time, we want to celebrate with you. We don't want to, we don't want to tamp down your joy because we're having a bad day. We want to come around you as a community. And we are so big on having a culture of family, a culture of tribe, a culture of community. This is why we're having a camp, so we can build that sense of what it means to be part of a big family here at Encounter. But the thing is, we've got to be able to endure in this and press on in maturity because the journey is a long haul. And when you press into Christ you find that it truly does begin to be a joy. You're not faking it. You're not putting on a happy face for church. You know that thing, if you've ever turned up with like your partner or your spouse to church and you had a fight in the car, and you're like, all right, we're at church. Everyone behave. Hi, hi. <laughs> Everyone's fine. Jenny and I had this amazing moment when we worked at our previous church where we did this at the exact same moment that our senior pastors did, and we walked in at the same time. We're like, oh, yeah, we've both been fighting in the car. Okay. And it, and it kind of just diffuses the situation as well because you're like, who are you really trying to hide from here? That's what we want to be about here. So we welcome you no matter where you're at in faith, no matter where you're at with life. We want to be with you. We want to pray for you. We love you. We're glad you're here. But we also want to gear you up for the journey. And if you're going to gear up, you need good gear. You need good gear. Thank you, Jemima, my lovely assistant here. This is why we have interns. No, we have interns because we believe in them. But listen, if you're going to gear up for the journey, there are things that you are going to need in order to be able to gear up. So let me give you a quick how-to guide. Here are four things you need for endurance. So write this down if you're taking notes. Four things you need for endurance. The first thing you need is you need a thirst to do the will of God, a desire for holiness, a desire for holiness. Because if you don't have a, de have a desire for holiness, you're going to be going in a different direction anyway. And that's not even a criticism. It's just a comment. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Do you desire to be holy? And by holy, I don't mean self-righteous. I mean you're just trying to pursue Jesus with everything in you. And to be honest, you need to be broken to do that, not self-righteous. But you need that thirst. You need a good MacPack drink bottle. It's good. It'll nourish you. If you go hiking and you don't have a drink bottle, you're going to feel like an idiot pretty quickly because at some point you're going to get sweaty. doesn't matter how cold it is, you're going to get sweaty somehow. You need that desire for holiness, that thirsting to be like God, that thirsting to follow after Jesus Christ. That's critical. So that's, uh, that's the first one. The second thing we need, this is my favorite, is we need a capacity to overcome. So we need a desire for holiness, and then we need a capacity to overcome. And where's the top of this? My beautiful MacPack puffer jacket. I love this more than life itself. It is so beautiful. I bought this recently. I've barely taken it off. If you're thinking this seems like a cheap excuse just to wear your puffer jacket in a professional setting, partial credit. But the thing about a jacket like this, in terms of a capacity to overcome, is what happens when the rain comes? It pretty easily brushes off. Pretty easily, easily brushes off. What happens when it gets cold? You zip it up. And you're like, okay, let's go. I've got this. I can keep going. I can keep going. I can keep going. That's the point. You don't wear a puffer jacket so you can stay warm inside. The aim of this is so you can be out in the elements, living life, and keep on going, even when the elements around you are tough. This is simple stuff, I know, but you've got to gear up in order to be able to go. We need to be resilient. 
We need to have a capacity to overcome. If you see an obstacle in your life, you've got to go past it, right? This, this is absolutely critical. Some of you have suffered immense trauma, really genuine hard stuff that is hard to overcome and deserves to be dealt with and deserves to be acknowledged. But the problem with suffering immense trauma, apart from obviously the incident itself, is that just like everybody else, whether it's real or perceived trauma, you've still got a choice. What do I do next? What do I do next? And some of you have been in this position and you've overcome because when you got to the place where you said, what do I do next? You said, I'm keeping on going. I'm pressing into Jesus. I have gone through a trial and joy was really hard to find, but I am still going to press into Jesus. And you've got a desire to overcome and you've created a resilient spirit inside of you and you're pushing forwards into the will of God. And that's the third thing. And the third thing is really tough. It is faith in God's promises, right? So think of it like a beanie. When you've got faith in God's promises... You're putting something on your mind that says, every time I choose a posture, I'm choosing faith. Every time I encounter a situation, I'm choosing trust in God. That's not to say the situation's not big. That's not to say that doubts don't creep up in your mind. But you're saying, where I start, before I engage in a conversation, before I let anything creep in my mind that maybe I shouldn't, I'm going to start by trusting God's promises. How do we know we should do this? How do we know we can even get joy? Because Hebrews, the book of Hebrews reminds us that how did Jesus die? Well, he died for the joy set before him. The joy set before him. He endured the cross. He had endurance for the purpose of joy, for you and I. And how does the book of Hebrews say we do this? Well, we do it by fixing our gaze on Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to do. We need to have faith in God's promises. And then the final one, which is the most important in a lot of ways, is a vision for the future. You need a vision for the future. You need to be able to see in a new way. The glare gets bad up on the mountains. If you've ever been on a mountain and there's snow, you can get blinded really quick. You've got all your gear, you're geared up, you've got your beanie, you've got your puffer, you've got your sunnies to protect you from glare, you know, you've got your drink bottle, but it sees, it sees, right? It's the vision that's going to get you there. Because even though everything else protects you, protecting is not enough. And there's some of us in this room that we've gone, yeah, yeah, now, Mike, you're right. We have to be resilient. We have to get through. I'm doing it. I hate every single moment of my life, and I'm doing it. It's like, whoa, no. No, no, no. Life with the Lord is to be enjoyed, not endured. There is joy, even in the trial. I can promise you that. And if you have been in a trial and overcome it, you know what I'm talking about. There is joy in the trial when we look forward. See, going back to this time with my kids, we're taking them up a mountain. The problem is not the mountain itself. The problem is when they know where we're going. And it's the same, like if you've ever been in a car with a small kid and you're on a long drive, what's the one thing they're saying again and again? Are we there yet? How far is it? Are we there yet? How far is it? They don't have a concept of the vision. They don't have a concept of where you're going. But sometimes you can say, you can be driving from Adelaide and go, yeah, we're going to Perth. We'll be there soon. And they'll be like, okay. Because there's trust. There's trust. There's love. There's a posture of, I trust that you are doing what you say you're doing. And so for our kids, and you know, there'll be a photo up in a sec. They're, they're, they're hiking through this jungle. And they're like, you know what? This is all right. I can't see anywhere. I've got no idea where I'm going, but I'm, I'm trusting in you, Dad. 
I'm trusting you. And then he gets hard. Then he gets really hard. Have a look at this. This is all loose gravel. Charlie's eight. He's got a backpack. He's got a towel around his shoulders. He's got all this stuff. Noah's up ahead. He's six. Grace and Jenna are a little bit further. Everybody's struggling. I want you to hear this. Everybody's struggling in this moment. They're trying to get up the mountain, but all they can see is the mountain. Some of you are here tonight, and, and your problem with God is, is not God. It's a mountain. It's a mountain. But then you start to look a little further, and you see something like that, and you go, okay, that looks a long way away, but I can see the top. And when you can start to get a little glimpse, and some of you, that's what you need. You just need a little glimpse of where God's taking you. You say, I see the top. I'm going to take us there. We're going there. We're going there. There's something up there. I can't see it. And you pursue it. And you've got to. If you're going to get through in life, if you're going to enjoy the moments here and the moments that come in eternity, you have got to get through. You've got to take the moments of trial and turn them into maturity. You've got to endure. But when you get to the top, you will be astonished at what God has for you. Every time. We just have that next photo, Sarah. We get to the top of this mountain, no word of a lie. This mountain that we have been struggling to climb up, that we know nothing about, and up the top is an enormous cross at the highest pinnacle of this island. The whole time, guess what? Jesus gets there first. Whatever situation you're in in your life, whatever you're struggling to see, whatever you're struggling to get through, I just want to give you this really simple tool. Remember Jesus got there first. Remember Jesus is with you in the midst of it. He's going to help you overcome. And then when you get there, the view is spectacular. (laughs) The view is spectacular. Because God wants for us what is good. God loves you. He actually has a plan and a purpose for you. He's not going to leave you hanging. I've left my glasses somewhere, so I'm just going to preach in Sundays for the rest of the time. How good. Looks so cool. (laughs) Here's the thing. The big thing is changing your heart posture toward God in all of this. If you want to endure, if you want to get through, you've got to change your heart posture towards God. Because we get to a situation and our immediate tendency, I've got to tell you, this is what I've seen, is we want to blame someone else. We just do. It's easier. It's easier to blame someone else than apologize to them. It's easier to blame God than accept responsibility for what we're going through. And again, we get to this place where we go, but the trial is genuine. And it is. But still, still, it's up to you. What's next? What's next? What's next? Friends, tonight as we, as we come and we worship and we just respond to God, the question that you need to ask yourself is, where's my heart aimed? Do I want to grow into maturity or do I not? It's really that simple. This is the practical wisdom of James. But what's going to get you there is the Holy Spirit leading you on, drawing you further, saturating you in His love. The Holy Spirit is longing for you to be deeper in relationship. The Holy Spirit will fill you when you are tired. And what you need to do is just come humbly with that heart posture that says, God, I know you have good things for me. Here I am.
Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.